most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? I got five dollars. This is a run to the left. How many tackles can one man break? <laughs> You're saying that humans need fantasy to make life bearable. Humans need fantasy to be human. Ooh, my goodness, that was good. You guys are pros. The best. Relentless, refusing to give up. All right, hit that horn, babe. Let's dance. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Fantasy Flex Podcast. I am your host, Chris Raybond, joined by one of the top rankers in the game, and Sean Kerner. And today, we are going to talk top 50, the first four rounds of your fantasy draft, maybe five if you play in a 10-teamer. Uh, so we will uh, we'll just kind of go through our strategy, go through all the players who we're targeting, who we're fading, and uh, kind of talk through that. Uh, Sean, you ready to do this? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. And uh, before we get into it, just make sure you guys, if you enjoy the pod, uh, be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple. We choose our favorite each and every week, and uh, we award you a free year of Action Pro. So uh, you get a rankings, projections, all that good stuff. So be sure to uh, give a five-star if you enjoy the pod. Let's jump into uh, this top 50 for 2022. And I, I want to start it off by just kind of asking you, Sean, you know, what's kind of your general early round strategy? I know we don't like to go into the draft, you know, nothing rigid or anything like yeah. that, but just what, what's been happening generally as you kind of go through the first four or five rounds? Overall, it's it's pretty straightforward. I'm not making any, you know, crazy picks or anything like that, but I, I have noticed that I tend to favor drafting wide receiver earlier than most people. That just jives with my overall strategy of, you know, in the mid to late rounds, I am very confident in my ability to kind of stash a bunch of high upside running backs, even in the season, um, you know, you're going to have opportunities to potentially add, you know, an RB2, sometimes an RB1. Uh, you just don't have that luxury when it comes to wide receivers. So I would say my draft strategy this year specifically has been drafting wide receivers a bit early. And then also just when it comes to the first few rounds, I'm not a fan of taking on risk. So we'll get to him, but a guy like Alvin Kamara does carry some risk. So players like that or anybody dealing with an injury, um, I tend to shy away from. I think the early rounds you talk about all the time, you're just taking high floor guys and then you kind of take your swings later in the draft. So when it comes to the early rounds, um, I'm fairly conservative. Yeah, and to your point on the wide receivers, uh, I, I feel the same way. And I would include the tight ends in that yeah. as well, you know, Kelsey, Andrews especially, because like you said, you're just not going to be able to replace that production later in the draft mm -hmm. or on the waiver wire. So there, there's only so many opportunities you get to get a Cooper Cup, a Jamar Chase, a, a Travis Kelsey, yep. guys like that, where, like you said, you know, let's say a, 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 a Dalvin Cook or a Najee Harris goes down. Like there's, it's possible that their backup comes in and performs similarly to them in that role. So and on top of that, and we talk about this too, running backs miss more games than wide receivers. And it was so much more pronounced now that we had the 17-game season. So that's yeah. also something I'm monitoring. But I think I mentioned on this pod that running backs actually missed a median of three games last year where receivers stayed at one. So yep. now you're talking about 16 to 14. That's a two-game difference. So by drafting, let's say, you know, three running backs in the first three rounds or three, or three in the first four or five, you're essentially limiting the amount – of games that your team is projected for mm -hmm. at the most important part in the draft. Like you usually need one running back. I'm not saying go zero right. running RB, but 
uh, you kind of want to mitigate that risk by just smashing the pass catchers. And of course, waiting on quarterback. We didn't. I feel like we. It's like so. Like you know, we don't even bring that up anymore. But yeah, I'm not taking a quarterback either. Um, no, no one before Jalen Hurts for me uh, in these drafts. But let's let's just run down the uh, the ADP. And uh, so start with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, any concerns? I know Frank Wright came out and said you know we might not use him quite as much. I, I do think Naeem Hines gets a little more work. I don't necessarily think it's at the expense of Taylor uh, in terms of the fantasy production. Uh, are you are you still taking him number one? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, to be fair, he's not a lock to finish as the top running back or the most valuable player in fantasy, but he certainly is the heavy favorite. So that's why I'm still taking him number one. There's no reason to be concerned. Like you said, they might throw a bit more this year. I already anticipated that anyway. They led the league in time of possession with the lead last year, and I don't think that's going to stay the same. So they should throw more this year, but Jonathan Taylor is as durable as it gets. Uh, I guess he's never missed a practice or a game at any point in his career. Um, so, yeah, there's really no reason for concern with Taylor. Yeah, I agree. I, although I do think the Colts will have a healthy share of weeds. I mean, they, they did upgrade a quarterback. Oh, right, yeah. so but lead the league in time possession with the lead uh, for a second season in a row is just unlikely. I would bet against it. Absolutely, of course, of course. <laughs> uh, Austin Eckler is at number two, and we talked about him before. I think he's I certainly understand why you would take him at number two, but I do think there's a little bit of kind of – variance there where he's a guy who's going to more likely get you 10, 11, 12 carries, a bunch of catches. So uh, I just think he's a guy that like, he's not a lock for, for number two, at least on my board. What about you? Yeah, it's, it's a bit rich. And you know, the concern with him is he doesn't really see a full workload, but you know, last season, especially he dominated in the touches that matter, which are receptions and goal line work. I could see them shining away from using him at the goal line as much this season. They just drafted, oh, you know, my Isaiah. God. Oh, stop this. Uh, Why do we do this every year with these guys? These rookies aren't I, getting – Austin Eckler is like the strongest player in the Joshua league. Joshua Kelly. He's getting these carries, man. Joshua Kelly, Spiller, <laughs> and Rouncher are just, you know, two down thumpers. So the fact uh, that they already yeah. limit Eckler when it comes to just carries in general – means there might be some times they limit the goal line. That's all I'm saying. Either way, even if he has the same role as last season, um, I would still take CMC here or Cooper Cup. Listen, I love Eckler, but I've been, you know, you could get Eckler end of the first round, second round these last couple of years. I always feel like you never want to be a year too late. And I, I think Eckler will be fine, but right. uh, I do think he's not a lot for that number two spot. Uh, you mentioned Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I think it's tough for – for, for people to kind of spend the pick on them because they look at his season stats if they click on them and there's not many games played there. There's not like many game wise <laughs> these last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know you kind of, you're all about the odds. So what, what do you think about McCaffrey's likelihood of, of being injured due to what's happened in the past? It's definitely a concern. I would understand why people would hesitate taking him number two or number three overall. Um, but all signs seem to point him being 100% healthy into the season. So the odds of him missing time should be about the same as all the other backs in this range. I don't think you can really say that, you know, he's more injury prone than anybody else at this point. Uh, he's still in the prime of his career. So if you've been burned on him one or two seasons, you know, the past couple seasons, I would get the hesitation. But uh, fortunately, I haven't really had much of Chris McCaffrey the past two seasons. That's maybe, maybe that's why I'm bullish on him, but going into the season, his odds have to be similar to everybody else in missing games. So that's why I think he should go number two overall. Or like I said, I'm willing to take a wide receiver like Cooper cup at number two overall. 
Yeah, and obviously, you know, I think full PPR probably, you know, kind of maximizes that CMC mm-hmm. value as well as it does Eckler. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think Cup at this point, you know, you could make the argument to take him number one overall. Um, you know, oh, yeah. it, and it's it's uh, he's going number four. But you know, what what is kind of the case for you in terms of you know taking him over Eckler, over McCaffrey, maybe even Taylor? It's just, you know, wide receiver is a position. You don't want to be facing an uphill battle in season. So I just love having um, my starting unit be elite wide receivers because if you think about it, <laughs> you're not really going to find a wide receiver one or even a wide receiver two on the waiver wire in season. I mean, Rashad Penny, for example, was the RB2 for the final five weeks of the season, and he was widely available in week 13. That's just how the running back position is. So while running back is very important. It's the most important position in fantasy. Um, it's kind of because the position is so fragile. So that that gives you massive opportunity in the later rounds or even the waiver wire in season. That that makes running back a position you could strike gold at any point in the draft. So that's why, you know, taking Cooper Cup, like you said, even number one overall, isn't that crazy? Um, uh, because I, I think it is valuable just locking in, you know, elite wide receivers early on and then you know, running back, I I load up at the position in the mid to late rounds anyway. Usually I can come away with, you know, a couple RB1s or RB2s anyways, um, even if I punt the position altogether. So while I don't subscribe to zero RB, I just think a, a guy like Cooper Cup, especially early in the draft, uh, makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and, and the numbers kind of bear that out if you're factoring these missed games into mm-hmm. the projections because even a guy like Taylor, you know, I'm projecting with two missed games, even though he hasn't missed a game. We saw what happened with Henry. We saw what happened with McCaffrey. Um, yeah. It's still increased risk. So um, that the numbers just kind of bear it out. Like there's nothing kind of stopping you. And, and then on the other hand, you know, even though we're, you know, we keep hearing about Matthew Stafford's got some elbow issues, yeah. the odds of Matthew Stafford like missing a significant amount of games are still not that much higher than any other quarterback. Even, you know, I know he's kind of is starting the year of the injury, but it's, it's just more so something he's kind of has to deal with. So I've heard the concerns there. I'm not really buying it too much, but uh, I, I guess that would be why people may, may, may shy away as well. I think cup should be going, you know, as high as you want to take him. Yeah, that is a fair point. That's, that's the one thing about wide receiver where there, there is, um, you know, potential downside is they are attached to their starting quarterback. So Cooper cup, if Stafford were to miss time, I mean, Cooper cup with John Wolford <laughs> might be in the what wide receiver two range. I mean, honestly, he oh, might yeah. take that much of a, a dip. Whereas, you know, like um, a, a team like the Ravens, they have survived. Uh, the offense is, has gotten actually better when Tyler Huntley's under center. So I do factor that in. Um, when I evaluate receivers, but like you said, the odds of Stafford missing time are very low. So it, it's not something I really weight too heavily when it comes to cut, but that is something that you kind of have to factor in when drafting wide receivers. Yeah. And, and I should mention, you know, cup chase Jefferson, you could get those guys not in the first round last year. So there is, yeah. you know, they're, they're, uh, we're not going into the draft saying, you know, you must take a wide receiver, forget about running back. We're just right. kind of <laughs> pointing out, you know, the kind of demand and how we're kind of going, going through this, uh, Derek Henry's at number five. I, I mean, for a guy this beastly, I feel like there's not been a lot of talk about Henry. I mean, this guy could easily finish as the top player overall in fantasy. He was getting 27 carries a game last year before he went down. And I don't look at looking at this Titan squad. I don't see any way he doesn't again. 
Yeah, especially after getting rid of AJ Brown, they're they're almost going to have to run the show the ball. So yeah, I I do like Henry. I I am a bit worried. He is you know yeah. twenty eight years old now, um, and he's taken a massive beating in his career. If there's any back that can probably eke out one more elite season uh, at twenty eight, it's probably Derrick Henry. Um, so I, I can see why you would draft him uh, number five overall. I think he has a very high floor, and like I said. When it comes to these first few rounds, I, I do value that. So I think he's still worth, you know, number five, number six overall pick for sure. It also depends on your scoring system because I think, you know, full PPR, that's why that's where you're pushing Eckler and McCaffrey further up and, uh, you know, yep. maybe a couple little higher, you know, half PPR. And you think about Henry a little more obviously standard weeks. Yep. Uh, he's a smash. Uh, Justin Jefferson, I mean, this guy is just a monster. He might be the new Cooper Cup. So he's a guy, I, I mean, I could argue taking him as high as number one overall, yeah. too, because <laughs> Kevin O'Connell, the OC with the Rams last year, now the head coach for the Vikings. This is the first time that Jefferson is not going to have had, you know, a Mike Zimmer, who's essentially like the Pete Carroll of the Vikings. Like, he just wanted the team to be run heavy and probably kind of messed with Cousins' head as well. So, how high are you taking uh, JJ? I, I would consider him uh, number five overall, number four. Like you said, if somebody takes a number one overall, it's kind of a reach, but it kind of isn't. Like it, it's not a bad pick because you know he's not going to make it back to you. Yeah. Um, so that's why, yeah, any anywhere in the top six, honestly. Uh, ideally, I have say pick seven overall, and he lands there. Like that's, the, I would say the optimal draft is landing the sixth or seventh pick and Justin Jefferson being there, honestly. Because like you said, uh, he's essentially going to be in the Cooper Cup role in this offense. Justin Jefferson is arguably the best receiver in the game right now. So, yeah, if you can get him number six, number seven overall, that is a phenomenal pick. I don't like being in the middle as much, and we'll talk about it, only because I think it makes tight end a little harder. Like, I, if I'm earlier, I can usually get, like, my – Oh, of running back or yeah. or cup jefferson and still have a chance at at least andrews where it's a little harder to do in the in the middle i mean you cut what usually happens is then i just i'm not getting a running back till like the third round That's which fine. i mean i don't it's not it's not as <laughs> yeah it's not terrible but it's i do like being a little bit early. I, I, was, I think the further you go back as is usually the case the further your first round pick is to the back i think it gets a little tougher just yeah i think you're kind of you're just a little more limited in how you're going to execute your strategy. And we'll get to that when we start talking about the tight ends. But yeah, uh, yeah, I love, I love Jefferson uh, is the point. I think he could be this year's Cooper Cup. Dalvin Cook, I mean, is he going to play more than 14 games? <laughs> That's the question. If I mean, if he does, he's worth this uh, draft slot. Like, you know, he, he could benefit from the scheme as well. They're going to use him more in the passing game. Um, so there's not much to hate on with Dalvin Cook. It's just, can he play? more than 14 games. So it's kind of up to you if you're drafting him if you want to take on that risk. I mean, even, and even if he does play 14, they're going to be 14 high-quality yeah. uh, games. So yep. nothing really to, to talk about there. Same thing with Najee. But I – Jamar Chase is another guy, man. Like, just like how you can feel it coming with Justin Jefferson. I mean, Jamar Chase, I feel like just looking at the board, nine almost feels too low for Chase. This guy, I think he could lead the league in receiving yards. That's a that's a prop. You know, I think it's still like 10 to 1. It's, you know, not a long shot. But, like, I I think this guy, just based on his average depth of target, you know, he's had the chemistry with Burrow going back to school. This guy, could he, he could be Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson will turn to Cooper Cup. So, I like getting Chase 
overcooking in Najee uh, mm. in, in my drafts. Yeah, and you could, I mean, you could get him with the ninth pick uh, overall. And then, you know, a guy like Travis Kelsey yep. might make it back to your round two or any one of these like other low end RB1s, like a Camara, if you want that, Mixon, even Swift, Barkley. So, yeah, having the ninth pick is also good. If if you get Chase, you're going to have some decent options in round two as well. But yeah, like I agree. I think, you know, you could make a case for taking Chase um, seventh um, if you want to take him over like Najee and Dalvin Cook. But yeah, the, the sky's the limit when it comes to Jamar Chase this season. Like just look at the market for odds to weed the league in receiving. They're not, a, there's only a few guys I think this, like sometimes it's like wide open. And I know you had that Calvin Ridley bet one year, <laughs> the Godwin bet one year. I yep. think this year, my bet is going to be Michael Pittman, um, nice. like, like 30 to one, but there's still, there's kind of a weird drop in terms of the guys that truly have that, like, just, oh my God, like, we've never seen a season like this. This is Randy Moss level yep. type of season coming. And I think Chase is, you can just see it coming. Like it's just right in front of and, us. And um, the fact that Devontae, left Green Bay, so he left Aaron Rodgers, and the fact that Tyreek left, you know, Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes, their, you know, value gets a bit of a hit, whereas Jamar Chase is more of an ascending half. So he kind of benefits from those two stud receivers as well, and in both that, you know, the most receiving yards market and in fantasy. So that's just another sneaky reason why I think Chase is, yeah, he should absolutely be the number three wide receiver, and you should absolutely consider him as soon as pick seven. And Devontae, don't get me wrong, he's in the running. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he's usually going to average like 12 yards a catch. So it's just going to, he's going to have to really go off where Chase can average 19 yards a catch. You know, like he doesn't right. even have to do it. So I, that's why I love me some Chase. Uh, Mixon, you know, not my favorite. He's kind of the end of like that, like running back who you feel like, you know, could get you like 15, 20 touchdowns. Well, maybe I guess Nick Chubb, but I, I still like Devontae and Stephon Diggs under him. I mean, Devontae still Devontae, the best receiver in a game and in, in terms of just straight up getting open. And then Stephon Diggs, talk about a guy, you know, like Stephon Diggs could put up a chase like season two. Like he's in Buffalo. It's just him and Gabe Davis. They're going to get a lot of love this year. So yep. I, I don't mind these receivers, but like if I'm at this point in the draft and, and I haven't picked yet or, I'm, or, you know, I'm I'm thinking of Travis Kelsey, you know, early second, because if you're at the back of the draft, it's too, it's going to be too early for Mark Andrews, probably not going to get back to you. So it's going to, but you want that stud tight end. So this is the part where I'm kind of going at Kelsey. What about you? Yeah. So Joe Mixon, I agree. Like I love him this year. They might limit him in the passing game, but with this improved offensive line, you could say it's the most improved offensive line in the league. He has massive upside. You, you already mentioned the touchdown upside. There is there the rushing upside is there, but at pick 10, you have to consider who's going to make it back to you. And if you're in a 12-team league, like both Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, probably won't make it back to you. They typically get the turn, maybe Travis Kelsey. There's a chance if you pass up on Joe Mixon, he actually makes it back to you. And if he doesn't, there's three other backs in Alvin Kamara, DeAndre Swift, and Saquon Barkley who have similar upside as Mixon that might make it back to you. So at that position, at number 10 overall, I'm absolutely targeting a wide receiver, whether it's Jamar Chase, if he's still there, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, or like you said, even Travis Kelsey, I would consider that. But I, I just think taking a running back at pick 10 is kind of a bad move because you can take like the guy that whoever you wanted to take there might make it back to you um, in round two. So you're kind of passing up on getting one of these elite receivers and still landing one of these running backs. So that's kind of how I'm handling the 10 spot. I think Mixon there is a bit too high. 
Yeah, and I would actually take that a step further. I think once you get to the back end of the draft, I, I think you want you want a wide receiver and Kelsey. Yeah. And like Mixon is great, don't get me wrong, but I probably get like James Conner like in the third or something. <laughs> if you know, like I don't. It's just at this point, I think to maximize your upside, you really want Kelsey. And sometimes I'll even take Kelsey in the first round because he's the. Like, if he doesn't make it back to me, I'm screwed, you know, whereas, like, I still have, there's Devontae, there's Diggs, uh, you know, and, like, there's there's still a few more of those kind of top-tier receivers. Uh, that's the guy I kind of target here. He's going to have a monster year. Tyreek there, I mean, the top, he, could have, he could have a career year just based on usage because he's always had to kind of compete with Tyreek. But uh, after those guys, you got DeAndre Swift, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones. That, that's the running back tier. I don't mind him, but I just feel like at this point in the draft, you don't necessarily have to go running back here. I think you're, you're start you're starting to see that the, the pass catchers in in that top tier, like they're gonna kind of run out. Whereas like you're already down there in that you know whatever you want to call it tier three of running backs, tier four. I don't know whatever you what, what you call it. But uh, Alan Camaro, let's talk about him. He's he goes right after those three, uh, which is understandable because you know next is Saquon, who everyone's probably worried about, uh, and Javante, who I guess. People feel he's a little unproven, but uh, you know we have an article. We all kind of weighed in on how we're going about Camara's and his suspension. So, you know, where are you with that in terms of? I know we've heard some report that it's maybe not likely now. See, I don't know what that means because it's just a reporter, so like I can't say, oh, he has a zero chance of suspension. So I've essentially kept it like I think I just I put it at like forty percent in terms of how I'm projecting it, like forty percent chance that he gets the suspension. Wow, that's that seems a bit high. And I'm not going to argue with that. I think that's kind of the point is we don't know. So it it does look like the odds of him getting suspended this season have significantly decreased. So it it makes it very tricky. And this is what I said. It's kind of up to you if you want to take on that risk or not. As I mentioned at the top, I am not taking on risk when it comes to the first few rounds. So, you know, Kamara's going to have to be there outside of the top 20, really, for me to consider him. I just, I'm more comfortable taking a guy like Saquon Barkley um, or DeAndre Swift that, you know, I know they're going to play 17 games if they stay healthy. Um, so I'm passing on Alvin Kamara at his current ADP. Um, now, if, if he does play all 17 games, he could crush his ADP, but I mean, he hasn't been as untouchable as he has been in years past. So, you know, he's a player where I, I just don't think it's worth it. Because like you said, it could be a 40% chance he's suspended and it would be towards the end of the season, which is the most valuable time to have a guy like Camara. So that's why just the, the uncertainty, just I'm staying away from still. Yeah. And you know, there's other risks built in. I mean, they, Sean Payne has moved on. Yeah. So it's just kind of a new, you know, we don't know exactly. They're just some unknowns. Like I don't, I don't, at this point, I would understand why somebody would take this this risk, especially if you, you know, you started the draft with a wide receiver, you know, being able to get like a Cooper Cup, Alvin Kamara team, uh, that, there's a lot of yeah. upside there and you're trying to win your week. So I don't, I don't mind, but yeah, he's just a little further down on my board just because there is some uncertainty, whatever you think it is, the point is it's not zero. You know, so yeah, exactly. that's that's what we're trying to avoid here. Uh, Steve Land goes next. You know, nothing really to talk about with him, but Saquon is 19. What about him? You know, does the risk or the perceived risk, I guess you can call it, match the uh, reward uh, at 19th overall? No, I, I do like him here. And you remember we faded him last season because oh, he was oh, yeah. entering the season hurt. He was already hurt. He was going to be limited, and we we didn't like you know, his production, even when he was healthy. But I think this is a fair time to take him. All signs seem to point him being 100% to begin the season. 
there are concerns about the offensive line, but he, he's a pass catching back. So I think he can overcome that quite a bit. He has literally zero competition for touches back there. Who's going to steal touches Matt Breida. Uh, so I, I just like getting him at this price this year compared to last year, uh, just because he is hundred percent healthy. Um, and like I said, with Chris McCaffrey, if a running back is hundred percent healthy, you can't really just assume they're more injury prone than other people. His in-season injury last year was a bit fluky as well. So I like getting Barkley here. He still has top five upside. So I, I think getting him at 19 overall or later is definitely worth it. I do have Javante ranked above him. So, yeah. Uh, but I tend to, to be just going a different way positionally at this point in the draft. I If I'm 19, whether it's a 10 or a 12, if I can get Mark Andrews there, I'm usually just, just yeah. trying to do that because I think there's yeah. a huge drop-off. Um, and, and obviously, you know, Kyle Pitt has some upside. You can usually survive your draft with getting Mark Andrews at that spot. And then, you know, you get, you know, you're still going to get a good player in the third. Debo's at 20, Devontae 21, Tyreek Hill 22. Like, this is the argument for kind of taking a running back early in the first round over like a cup or Jefferson. It's because like you just get Tyreek Hill at the <laughs> end of this, at the end of the second. Now, I, I think that's too well. And, once we're hearing that Waddle is kind of been missing a lot of practice, like I think Tyreek Hill is going to still be that alpha. Obviously, it's no Mahomes, but this is this is one of the most talented players in the league, and you're getting him 20 seconds. So I, I like I like the Tyreek spot. What about you? Yeah, I love getting him here. Um, and I actually mentioned in my wide receiver projected half PPR points, uh, there's a 21 point drop off from Tyreek to the next receiver, Mike Evans, and it takes 19 more wide receivers to see a 21 point drop off. Uh, so this is definitely at the end of a tier. So I, I do like getting Tyreek late. I like getting him in here. Um, and actually, every position has a massive drop-off here. This is an interesting part in the draft where literally every position sees a massive drop-off. So I do like the idea of getting Tyreek Hill here. And the the you know the chances of Mike Isicki getting traded seem pretty high right now. If he's dealt, I think that's going to help Tyreek's target share even more. So uh, there's a lot of reasons to like getting Tyreek Hill, like you said, at the end of the second round. Like, it's too good to pass up. Yeah, and, and you kind of mentioned it. You know, there are some drop-offs. I mean, now you have to start being smart about positions yep. and, and what positions are smart to target the drop-offs. Obviously, you know, we talked wide receiver, but I think the thing to avoid is, in my opinion, drafting Josh Allen here because while there is a big drop-off from him to the QB2, you could still get a Mark Andrews here. You could still get a Tyreek yeah. Hill here. You could still get a, a running back as well if you maybe start with, with a receiver and you're kind of worried about that, the depth there. So um, you're going to have usually three picks by the time this tier is all said and done if you're drafting at this point. So it's, uh, it's one of those where I guess Allen is the guy avoid in this spot. Yeah, Allen's tricky because when it, when it comes to like modeling and VBD values, like he's way up there. Yeah. Like I, I definitely have a big drop off between him and the next tier of QBs with Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray. Um, but like you said, when it just comes to the position, the fact that you can get Jalen Hurts later on, or even Trey Lance, like if he falls outside of the top 10, just the amount of value you're going to get from that, and you can build out the other positions before then, it just makes it drafting Josh Allen this early. It doesn't make as much sense. But, you know, if anybody drafts Josh Allen 20th overall, you can't blame them. It's just based on my overall draft strategy. It just it doesn't jive with that. But certainly, when when you look at BBD values and drop offs and things like that, twenty overall does make sense for Josh Allen. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you can blame them because if they're sitting there and the team is struggling <laughs> and they and like guys are injured, but and like some team with like Trey Lance beating them, yeah, because you know <laughs> well, it's mean, like hopefully. you can blame them. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we like the player. It's just not yeah. the. It's not an optimal fantasy strategy in a one quarterback league to take a yeah. quarterback early. It just and the numbers bear it out. I I have a draft strategy article up at actionnetwork.com and I talk about how you know the majority of the top five quarterbacks that we've seen. I, I went back and the majority of top five quarterbacks uh we see the, they, they were drafted round six or later. So it's middle round quarterbacks. Okay, like I don't blame you as much, but you like Josh Allen, the odds just like you said with you know Taylor, like yeah, he's not the he's the favorite, but at quarterback, like if the favorite doesn't hit, there's a huge drop off because there's only one being taken here, one being yeah. taken in the next round, one or two, you know. So you have a lot more downside just taking the position here. I will invest in Josh Allen through Gabe Davis. That's how exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. So then Mark Andrews goes. Like I said, I take him a little uh, earlier. G- could you imagine if he falls to 20, 24? Yeah, I mean that's his ADP. Oh, like, not everyone God. is, you know, not everyone is. A, <laughs> out there in these expert drafts best ball drafts you know regular drafts yeah. falls a little more um so yeah you know i, I do think there's a, a drop off between him and Pitts, uh but uh, i like him here for net uh you know he's in yeah i think he's going where he should be going mike evans aj brown keenan allen people are sleeping on keenan allen i feel like i get him yeah he's a guy who i get in like the third round like i love starting a draft where i get like uh, stud running back, stud tight end, and then I Keenan Allen still my wide receiver. When I'll take that uh, all day. Keenan Allen, when it comes to season long head to head leagues, you know exactly what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Like uh, he has such a high floor that does help you in head to head leagues because you have to remember you're just trying to beat one other team each week, not everybody. So like best ball formats, I can see kind of hesitating on Keenan Allen, but season long head to head, he is a smash play. If you can get him right right around like 30th overall, just can't can't beat that. I don't even mind him in best well because you're talking about Justin Herbert, who we have projected is, you know, he's like the favorite to lead the league in touchdowns <laughs> and in yards too. Right. I believe. So <laughs> it's like saying. it's like he's still the most targeted <laughs> player on that team, man. Yeah, like, no, I'm not saying beat him <laughs> in best ball. I'm just saying Mike Williams is absolutely a best ball specialist. Yeah. Yep. Um, whereas in you know, season long head to head, you never know when the hell to play him. But Keen Allen, just every week, week in, week out, he's gonna get you six to seven catches. So just in that regard, he is exceptionally good for head-to-head leagues and then we get to 29th and is ezekiel elliott like frozen pond uh i I don't consider him frozen pond i don't like (laughs) i don't think tony pollard will like leapfrog him when he's healthy that's kind of how i view the frozen pond i actually um said in my running back upside piece like the cowboys browns and broncos backfields it's interesting where both the starter and backup have injury upside. So if, if Tony Pollard were to go down, which would be very unfortunate because I have so much Tony Pollard this year, um, <laughs> Zeke would be a low-end RB1, right? Like he would see a massive workload. Uh, I, the Tyron Smith injury doesn't help, but uh, I think Zeke would still push low-end RB1 value. Like all those backfields, all the starters and backups have hidden upside. So I don't I don't mind Zeke here. i rather wait and get Pollard, but I think Zeke has such a safe workload. They're paying him too much money. Uh, to not give him touches that I I don't consider him frozen pond. He might actually be a value uh, in this range. I, I think he's a little bit too cheap this year. Yeah, I was about to say he could be a low end RB one. He could be a low end RB one anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, our boy T Higgins goes number thirty. Oh yeah, like him. Uh, nothing much to say. I you know James Connor. I, I do like getting here as well. Thirty one. I, I think he's a value. He kind of 
you kind of know what you're going to get. He's probably going to give you like 200 some odd carries, not many more than that, catch the ball. But I mean, he just looked amazing last year. And now he's got less competition for touches. So I want to get your thoughts on Akers because he's going 32nd. A lot of interesting things kind of transpired with him. He comes back from the uh, torn Achilles. He plays absolutely dreadfully. And then now all camp, we've been hearing Sean McVay's treating him and Henderson like co-RB1s. And the, the the beat writers who have been watching the practices say they've actually been splitting reps. And so like now you're, you're actually seeing it happen in practice and McVay is saying it. So I'm curious as to your thoughts on how exactly you're projecting the the splits um, with him and Henderson, given you know what we're hearing out of out of Rams camp. Yeah, what we're hearing out of Rams camp means that Acres is definitely a frozen pond type of candidate um, because he doesn't have a guaranteed workload. the The reason I I, I bumped him down to like he's probably 40th overall, uh, so I wouldn't take him this early. But the reason I still like Acres is just. The Rams threw the ball inside the five-yard line at a very high rate last year. They ranked first. I could see that regressing a bit. I could see Cam Akers easily having a 10-plus touchdown season, so I do like his upside. But like you said, there is concern when it comes to workload, and being in a true 50-50 committee with Daryl Henderson is a real possibility. So I think getting him in this range uh, definitely gives off frozen pond vibes. And I know you like Daryl Henderson. So that, I mean, that just speaks to that situation being closer than people expected. First of all, it's not like I like Daryl Henderson. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's great. He's cool, but yeah. he's not like, not like one of my guys like Gabe Davis or anything. But right, right, right. I mean, I just always try to manage risk. And like you, you, yeah. you said it at the top. And, you know, last year I, I, I managed risk by taking guys like James Conner and Leonard Fournette, you know, because I was getting them as like a cheaper, like part of what could end up being a committee. And Jamal Williams even, you know, had some a, a lot of value at different points in that year. Yep. So like this year, <laughs> again, you're not getting another Kyle Pitts. Like if you let him pass, you're not getting another Michael Pittman. Exactly. Not, you know, so it's like Cam Akers, you might get another Cam Akers and his name could be Daryl Henderson and you could get him in the ninth or 10th round. So it's just managing risk, nothing against Akers. Yeah. Um, but I just don't like this spot for him. As a matter of fact, you know, if I, if I, I would actually love Kyle Pitts here, if I didn't have a tight end yet and I'm <laughs> drafting here, what are your thoughts on Pitts real quick? Just, um, you know, I, I know you have the big drop off, but yeah. I feel like he's more likely to hit the top tier than like yeah. Kittle or, or Waller this year. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I think he's almost in a mini tier. So Kelsey and Andrews are sort of, they're tier one. I consider them very close. Um, and then you have the three tight ends a little bit farther down with Pitts, Waller and Kittle. And I, I honestly think Pitts deserves his own tier because if you think of his range of outcomes, being the greatest tight end of all time is certainly within his range of outcomes. So getting him while he's ascending in his career, he's he's what, only 21 years old right now? Um, he could easily join that top tier this season. I think the only reason he wouldn't this year is because Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter will let us down. Uh, but either way, he's one of those guys where you do want to, you can bank in a higher ceiling. So I would take him, yeah, a little bit earlier than I'm projecting because his, his range of outcomes is a lot wider uh, than, you know, Waller or even Kittle. So I, I do kind of like getting Pitts in this range if if I still need a tight end. I, I totally agree. And the way I like to think about it is, again, you got to you want to be a year early to these things. So yeah. <laughs> you can kind of see this coming. And remember, like, I, I look at Pitts kind of like he could be Mark Andrews, a guy who puts up ridiculous numbers on a low volume pass offense because we're and even with Andrews. 
he was great last year, but remember, he really solidified himself is that like, okay, now I'm, I'm Travis Kelsey material with that three game stretch week 14 to 16, where he had 11 for one uh, 15, 10 for 136, and eight for 125 with at least one touchdown in each of those games uh, with Huntley. And if he, if he doesn't do that, he's probably a little closer to Pitts in, in ADP and yeah. you know, overall finish. So this year, it could easily be Pitts. I mean, Drake London, we already saw him get banged up. So there could be a situation where Pitts is that still that undisputed top target in Atlanta. And uh, yeah, like you said, one of the better talents of, of the generation. So yeah, I would I'd go Pitts right here, would not go Mahomes. Do like Michael Pittman, though. I mean, another guy I think people are sleeping on. I think he has an outside shot at leading the league in receiving yards. Remember, Matt Ryan, his guys are always in that running when he actually has good receivers. It, Julio would get crazy yards and then Ridley. Yep. So, and Pittman, we talked to Matt Harmon about him. He said he, he was one of the top receivers in receptor perception. No, no issues getting open. So, um, yeah, uh, like Pittman. Oh, do you want to get your thoughts on Brees Hall? He, it's Montgomery, Justin Herbert. Mahomes is up there in, in that ADP range as well, not taking quarterbacks just yet. But Brees Hall... 38th overall, we did get a report out of Jets camp that Michael Carter still, quote unquote, the RB1. This is another one where, I mean, what are you doing with Hall at 38? I think 38 is a bit high, and I love Brees Hall. He was by far my favorite uh, running back from this class. He reminds me of a blend of like Joe Mixon and Kareem Hunt. I think he's going to be that good. Um, And I kind of figured that Michael Carter is going to be an issue at least earlier in the season. Uh, but I think talent will win out. I think by the end of the season, Brees Hall will be a workhorse back. Um, but behind this offensive line in this offense, you know, the upside is very limited. I think the offensive line is going to let him down a bit this season. So I think 38 is a bit too high, especially considering Michael Carter's still there. Um, so I love the talent. This seems a bit too early for me. And you still need touchdowns and it's still the Jets. Yeah, so. you still need touchdowns. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Javen Waddle. Apparently a little bit banged up, but uh, at least his ADP has fallen a little bit. I still uh, would prefer like the wide receiver ones, like Deontay, Terry McLaurin over uh, a Jalen Waddle. So I think this is a little too high, but uh, and DJ Moore as well. Yeah. So DJ Moore is going 40th, uh, probably what the best quarterback he's ever had. No, it's not saying much, but <laughs> would you take more over uh, Jalen Waddle? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, more is sort of, at the top of this, uh, Michael Pittman's at the top of all these guys. Uh, that was a great call uh, earlier, especially at the most receiving yards at 30 to one. But I think after Pittman, DJ Moore is the guy for me. Um, now, granted, he does have limited touch on upside, but in this offense, you know, he's going to be the undisputed number one target, whereas Jalen Waddle is going to be the number two target. So I, I definitely like the fact that we're getting a number one wide receiver in DJ Moore. So yeah, I would definitely take more over Waddle here. Then we got Deontay Johnson. Um, another guy just gets open uh, like crazy. So I, I, it'd be ideal if Pickett took over. I, I think they might have a higher yeah. chance of more pass volume with Pickett. I know that sounds crazy because he's a rookie, but you know if you're starting Mitch Trubisky, you pretty much know what kind of offense <laughs> you're going to be. But if you're starting Pickett, I mean, there's that outside shot at them just you know being like a six hundred, you know, like Justin Herbert in in year one. Yeah. Um. So that's. But I, either way, I think Deontay's fine here. Um. But I'm. It's another spot where if I don't have a tight end. Uh, I'm looking at George Kittle in the, in this range. Love Terry McLaurin. Uh, Travis Etienne uh, should be that the lead back in, in Jacksonville. We'll see, like Etienne, I'd rather have him over Brees Hall because, you know, similar situation, kind of a another guy looming there. Could be a bad offense, but like Etienne is like in the driver's seat. Like we know James Robinson's going to kind of start the year slow and, uh, and be ramped up. So 
what, what do you think of ETN over Brees? Yeah, it's it's tricky because, you know, James Robinson, he made an amazing recovery. I thought he was going to miss, you know, a handful of games to start the season. It looks like he might be able to play yeah. week one. So that that complicates things a little bit. I, I still think ETN will be the workhorse back and love his, you know, passing usage. You know, on a team like the Jaguars, they're going to be trailing a lot. Um, it, it's good to know that ETN will be sort of game script proof. Um, so love the upside in getting ETN here. Um, I would probably prefer him over Brees Hall right now, uh, yeah. but it's very close. I, I have like th- three or four backs in this range, basically tied. Uh, but I-, I think, you know, when it comes to the full season, I'd probably prefer Eden. To be clear, this is more in terms of just a running back pecking order, because this is a part of the draft where I, I think you're better off drafting pass catchers. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, because you just as much as we want those, you know, Cooper Cups and Justin Jeffersons early in the draft, you could find those guys uh, a couple of times in the, in these rounds last year. So what the ideal is, you know, you get one of those guys or, or, and then you find another, the next one of those guys here. And yeah, you can't do uh, that. If you're just taking these running backs who probably have more downside than upside. Uh, Josh Jacobs is another one of those. I mean, in the running back rankings, I actually have them pretty much in line with this, but I, and I know Kenyon Drake got cut, but are you still concerned with, you know, just the, the potential workload for Jacobs this year with the new coaching staff, or do you, or you think he was worth taking at 45? No, I, I'm definitely concerned, um, especially since they, they look committed to have, you know, a James White role, whether it's Amir Abdullah or Brandon Bolden. Um, and then Zamir White's definitely going to eat into Josh Jacobs, you know, early down work. So this could be sort of the Patriots where it's, you know, a frustrating two to three way running back committee. I think the fact that they released Kenny and Drake definitely helps. Yeah. Josh Jacobs. So I moved him up quite a bit. Uh, but like you mentioned, this is the range where I'm probably, you know, targeting wide receiver. I know I, I keep saying that every range I'm targeting a wide receiver. <laughs> I think where you were talking about like James Conner, Leonard Fournette, maybe even like Javante Williams, that's sort of the sweet spot range for me um, when it comes to like when to target a running back. So I think just in this range, when it comes to these backs, like Josh Jacobs is definitely sort of like a frozen pond kind of guy. So it, it seems a bit early to be taken when his his role seems to be pretty sandwiched uh, between, you know, early down backs and pass catching backs where I'm kind of shying away from him, even after Kenny and Drake uh, was, you know, released. I think in a standard league, I, that's where you kind of maximize the upside for Jacobs because I do like the offense. You know, they, they haven't historically scored a lot of points. This year, I think they could change that. So Jacobs could yep. – another guy gets get you a lot of touchdowns. I mean, there's a world where Jacobs and Joe Mixon have the same numbers. So, exactly. Like, it's not it's not the worst pick. I again like in the running back pecking order, I, I have Jacobs here, but I would prefer to take a wide receiver. And it's it's cool because you know, looking at the rest, you know, how this board rounds out in the top 50, there actually aren't that many wide receivers flying off the board. So you, you know, you can get a Mike Williams. Uh there's DK Metcalf there because you know, people Lamar Jackson's going at, at 47, yeah. Waller at 48, uh, Elijah Mitchell at 49. So um, yeah, this is this is where I, I start taking pass catchers and then uh, maybe I'll get my second running back, you know, in the sixth or the seventh or, yep. or, or, or something like that. But, um, any other guys that, uh, that, that you want to mention that you tend to get that maybe aren't ranked in that top 50? No, I, I was going to elaborate on just my running back approach where, like I said, Josh Jacobs, ETN, you know, Brees Hall, even those guys, I, I'm typically fading. I'm still targeting, you know, wide receiver or getting a tight end, like, uh, you know, Kyle Pitts. But after the top 50, that's when I definitely target running backs. Guys like A.J. Dillon, mm-hmm. Kareem Hunt. He goes way too late still. Tony Pollard. Those are my favorite running backs to draft. 
um, because, you know, they should be able to offer low end RB2 or flex value, even when they're starting running back is healthy, but they all have RB1 upside if the starting running back were to go down. So I just love that floor ceiling combo with those guys. Um, and it allows me to just, you know, just hammer wide receiver or tight end early in the draft. And at the end of the day, I still might end up with two or three RB1s at points during the season. So that's why I just want to clarify, like, it seems like I'm just fading running back constantly. But really, like I said, the uh, Javante Williams, Leonard Fournette, James Conner range is when I like to get a running back. And then after the top 50, um, the A.J. Dillon, Kareem Hunt, Tony Pollard ranges. Absolutely. When I'm trying to target at least two of those backs. The way I kind of look at like when I see the draft board, I kind of look at where the drop off is just among from guys that you would want feel comfortable starting in week one at all. And there's about give or take 40 wide receivers and yeah. maybe 38 ish running backs. But let's say 40 each. So my point is usually by the end of the ninth round, I kind of know what I want need to have. Like I want to have a tight end yeah. and I want, I want four wide receivers. I think you've spoken about this. I, I totally agree. I think you want four wide receivers. And then depending on your league, you want either three or four running backs. If it's a 12 teamer, you're only going to get three. You're not, if you get that fourth running back, you're probably just sacrificing depth. Yeah. So like at wide receiver, which is not ideal, but either way, the point is you kind of know, how many running backs you, you're going to need, and you know they miss games, you should just be buying low on the whole entire position at this point because, like you said, I mean, even guys that we haven't talked about, like Miles Sanders could easily be that, you know, one of those guys that gives value. Like there's everyone there if, as long as you're getting them, you know, in the sixth, seventh, eighth. Maybe they dropped a few spots in their ADP. We know they're risky. You have to draft some of them. So it, it's just mitigating the risk at that point. So, yeah, like I, I'm totally with you. It's like I'm – banging pass catcher, avoiding quarterback. And then, you know, if I can just run running back in the top 50, I'm fine. But I'm, I'm, I'm really not doubling up this year because it's just, I don't see the value in it. Yeah. And so when it comes to wide receiver, it's so deep and there, there are a lot of good options later in the draft. Um, but if, if you don't have, if you're in a league, say that starts three wide receivers, if you don't have three wide receivers before, um, like Elijah Moore, I would say, would be the cutoff. Wide receiver 35, that range. If you don't have three wide receivers before the top 35 are off the board, uh, you're probably in trouble just because the wide receiver position is so deep. But it's it's really hard to get, you know, wide receiver twos or higher later in the draft. So that's why yeah, I try to emphasize having at least three wide receivers before the top 35 are off the board. And then you start filling out your bench with these great upside flyers like Drake London, uh, Romeo Dobbs. Guys like that are fantastic to have on your bench, but you need to have a stable top three wide receivers uh, ready to go before you kind of get to that point. And that's why I say kind of four in the top 40, because I actually yeah. kind of include London in more of that. Like I would start London in week one. Like, I, I, you know, I don't really have questions about him, but I'm talking about like, wide receiver seems deep, but then you start getting like, it's like you go from like Christian Kirk to like Chase Claypool and Kadarius Tony. Like they, you know what I mean? Like it starts getting late early. Yeah. They're all the same. Like <laughs> wide receiver. And one of them typically falls later uh, than they yeah. should. So that's why uh, it's just important to load up early. So we want those guys to be on our bench to begin the season. Exactly. And, and running backs, like you, again, you just know you're, you know, you're going to need them, but you don't have to like go out and rush it, especially once you have one. I think, you yeah. know, if you're, if you went crazy wide receiver heavy in the first few rounds, maybe you got a tight end. Then I get why 
a guy like Josh Jacobs or Cam Akers or, you know, who would be a lot more appealing because now you're, again, you're buying low. Like you can get mixing production from Jacobs potentially yeah. uh, without spending that first round pick. So it's all about just mitigating the risk, maximizing the upside. Again, wide receivers played a median of 16 games last year. Running backs was 14. Uh, tight ends tends to be, I think it was 15 last year, but it tends to be uh, 16 as well or yeah. one missed game a year, uh, as well. But like these running backs, man, you know, you can't you can't score fantasy points if you're not on the field. So exactly. I, I like to maximize my team ceiling uh, by hammering pass catchers. Uh, all right. That is going to do it for this episode of the Fantasy Flex. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, we have a ton of content out here on the channel. Uh, we have a lot of great episodes we've been doing, cranking these out all off season. Uh, so if you want to go back and check out, we, we go into each specific position. Uh, we got a lot of a great guest, Evan Silva, uh, just, just did a sweeper episode. Uh, we had Jake Celia, we had Jay Zacharyson, uh, just a lot of uh, top tier, uh, sharp guys in the industry. So be sure to check out the channel if you're preparing for your drafts and uh, you can find us on Twitter. Sean is at the underscore odds maker. I'm at Chris Raybon. We're also at those same handles on the free award winning Action Network app. Be sure to check out actionnetwork.com for our fancy projections, content, all that good stuff. Until next time, let's get this money.